Hey folks, so uh, before the show begins today, um, you'll have noticed it's been a bit late up this week. Uh, my sincerest apologies. Um, basically, I had a little uh, problem recording yesterday and I managed to, um, that was Monday, and I managed to delete the, uh, the feedback section while I was editing the show together and then I had to go to work. So uh, my apologies for the lateness. Um, but what I'd also like to say, uh, at the end of the show, I talk about the new Rattle film podcast a little bit, and uh, I actually know more about it now, so I just thought I'd whore it a bit. Um, so we're actually recording tonight. Um, I don't know when the show's going to be up, because uh, I'm not doing the editing, thank Christ. Uh, at least I don't think I am. So, uh, yeah, it starts tonight. Um, I think... I think it's weekly. I think I'm going to be on every week. I don't see why not, to be honest, as long as my work schedule allows. And, uh, yeah, it's just going to be more of a group discussion, really. So, hey, but that doesn't mean uh, Cinerama's going to be taking a back seat in the slightest. Oh, no, don't worry about that. And, um, yep, that was all I wanted to say. So, sorry for the lateness. I hope to have a more prompt show out next week. And here we go. One and all, my name's Ian Loring, welcome to Cinerama, I hope you're doing well. Right, um, that there was uh, Dinosaurs by the Maccabees from their new album, Wall of Arms. Uh, played a bit of that track there, and I'm going to play another track from their album at the end of the show. Okay, coming up on this week's show, Sam Raimi's return to his roots with the uh, muchly, muchly anticipated by much of the uh, blogosphere uh, drag me to hell. And uh, I wasn't able to see 12 rounds this week, oh well. So uh, instead, I'm going to be bringing you an advanced review of The Hangover, the new comedy directed by Todd Phillips, the director of Old School, which is released in the UK on the 12th of June, and I believe it comes out in the US uh, next Friday, the 5th of June. So... uh, yeah, lucky enough to be able to see that pretty early, so I'll tell you my thoughts later. Also, uh, the next part in the Hitchcock Marathon. So, uh, taking a look at his 
1965, I'm probably wrong, film Marnie. Okay, feedback is very much more than welcome. Please email cineramapodcast at yahoo.co.uk. You can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash Ian Loring. Uh, you can read me at The Rattle at therattle.co.uk during the week. Um, Votes on Podcast Ali, much appreciated, as are reviews on iTunes. Right, uh, before I forget, Noel Meller um, is going to be joining me on the show, uh, confirmed, pretty much, uh, uh, I was just listening to Film Rant and he was saying that he hopes he's going to be on the show. Well, I'm very much up for him being on the show, so uh, he's going to be reviewing Terminator Salvation with me next week. And uh, his podcast, Film Rant, is finally back on the airwaves. I literally just listened to it about an hour ago, and a fantastic episode and a very, very funny rant about why he hasn't been in the podcasting sphere for a while. So, uh, yeah, go check that out. And uh, if you are having problems downloading Chinstroker vs. Punter episodes at the moment, the guys hit their monthly bandwidth limit in about three days. So, uh, fair fucking play, uh, Paul and Mike. Fair fucking play um but yeah so uh just a little message there if you're unable to download it that's why and also i forgot new feature this week the two word review which if you've been following me on twitter you should know about but i will explain all later okay uh let's get on shall we so uh alison loman and justin long join sam raimi for a bit of horror comedy splattery fun in Drag me to hell. Mr. Jax, I was wondering if you'd made any decision regarding the assistant manager's position. It's between Stu and yourself. Stu Rubin, the new guy? Stu's someone who's not afraid to make the tough decisions. I'm perfectly capable of making the tough decisions. I'll let you know as soon as I decide, okay? Will you help me? Please. Okay. We have an elderly woman asking for an extension on her mortgage payment. We would have to throw her out of her house. We've already granted her two extensions. It's a tough decision. Your call. Another extension is out of the question. Where will I live? I'm really sorry. Never have I begged for anything. But now, I have myself before you. I beg you. Please let go. Please let go. Security! comes begging to me. Someone has cursed you. Is the Lamia, the most feared of all demons. For the first three days, the spirit torments its victims. After that, it will come to take you. Take me where? To burn in hell for eternity. Okay then, lead review of the week is Drag Me to Hell, directed by Sam Raimi. This stars Alison Lohman, Justin Long, Lorna Raver, Dilip Rayo and uh, Adriana Barraza. Um, Drag Me to Hell is a story about Christine Brown, played by Alison Lohman, a girl who works for a bank and uh, it, uh, appro- approves mortgages and whatnot. Um, when she's told to be a bit uh, stronger uh, to try and get a promotion, she refuses another extension on uh, 
the mortgage for Mrs. Ganoush, played by Lorna Raver. Uh, when she does this, Mrs. Ganoush gets very, very pissed off and uh, curses her uh, with a demon who will taunt Christine for three days and then drag her to hell. So Christine, along with her boyfriend Clay, played by Justin Long, try to uh, stop the curse. Okay, so this is Sam Raimi's first film since uh, 2007's Spider-Man 3 and sees um, Sam Raimi at a bit of a crossroads, I suppose. After spending the best part of a decade working on the Spider-Man films, um, the third one was met with an awful, awful lot of disappointment from uh, the majority of people who saw it, uh, myself included. Uh, In fact... No, it wasn't the first ever review I did on a podcast, but it very nearly was. Um, So, before starting work on Spider-Man 4, Sam Raimi has decided to go back to his roots. And uh, it's quite interesting. The marketing campaigns, in the UK anyway, is mainly saying from the director of Spider-Man. The main trailer says the Evil Dead trilogy as well, but all the TV ads and whatnot say Spider-Man, which is, you know... Fair enough, it's way more identifiable for the mainstream than the Evil Dead trilogy. But um, I can't help but feel that a lot of people are going to be shocked. Even though I think if you're listening to this, I imagine you at least know the Evil Dead trilogy and know that Sam Raimi directed it. So uh, yeah, it, it's it's going to be interesting to see how people take to it. Um, so yeah it's returning to his roots and what i think raimi's come up with here is in terms of tone an interesting mix between evil dead and evil dead 2 um drag me to hell is being sold as you know uh, a return to real like real horror i think the trailer says and i mean it is but there is also a, a, a a very decent amount of comedy in there um which recalls Evil Dead 2, but at the same time, it kind of veers more towards horror like Evil Dead 1 did. Evil Dead 1, if you haven't seen it, is a a very, very hardcore horror film with not a lot of comedy in it. Um, Evil Dead 2 introduced slapstick elements, which uh, made it the classic that it is today, even though I think all the Evil Dead films are classics, but anyway. So, yeah, Drag Me to Hell is... You know, it's kind of essentially, in a way, Evil Dead 4. Because the thing haunting Christine could very, very easily be a deadite. The the bad guys from the Evil Dead films. Except just not in kind of body, I suppose. It's a bit difficult to explain. But the the demon's quite mischievous with Christine. um, You know, it, it, it seems to want to scare her out of more having a laugh than anything else and i mean this is something that raimi very very much brings to the table as well before the demon like starts taunting her there's an absolutely incredible fight in a car park between christine and mrs ganoush um and it it's it it is probably the funniest bit of the film it is a bit scary as well but it's mainly funny um I mean, there's some there's some great stuff in there, and fair play to Lorna Raver because uh, her character in in this bit takes some takes some beatings. Even though I must say, throughout the whole of the film, Alison Lohman gets stuff like all sorts of goo chucked at her. She 
like has all sorts of goo come out of her she's thrown around all over the place it's pretty easy to see why ellen page dropped out of the film because to be honest with you i don't think she would have been up for doing the kinds of things that alison loman's expected to do in this film it's it's a very very brave performance and while her acting kind of dives into ham at times i think that's pretty appropriate for the tone that sam raimi's trying to come up with um so yeah i mean like i say that bit is is made more comedy than horror but the rest of the film really is more horror than comedy and i was kind of surprised actually there is some very very scary stuff in this film and it's a pretty hardcore 15 or pg-13 i think um i I would be, I mean, with PG-13s in America, obviously, um, you know, as long as you're with someone who's 13 and over, then, I mean, like, a five-year-old could go see the film. And, you know, I wouldn't want any younger kids to see Drag Me to Hell. I mean, I think even 15-year-olds are going to have a tough time with it because, you know, there are traditional kind of jump scares more akin to what we've been getting more and more accustomed to. But Sam Raimi... uh, displays a very very good sense of timing with this film there's a lot of stuff where you expect something to happen and then it happens like a couple of beats later than you're expecting it to or a couple of beats earlier and there's also a lot of kind of lulling you into a false sense of security and then throwing something at you there's one very very good jump scare actually that that does that um when christine meets the uh the psychic who tries to help her for the first time it's probably the best jump scare in the film actually but there's there's also just some really kind of icky gross stuff there's a lot of weird looking fluids chucked at christine and stuff that comes out of her and you know there's maggots and flies all over the place at times and <laughs> Donna just went there, and uh, it, I mean it is very, you, you know, it, it it's kind of disgusting as well. But but at the same time, this also is kind of funny. And I mean, there's another amazing amazing little sequence is uh, this séance, uh, probably about three quarters into the film, which uh, most directly references Evil Dead Two, I think, where basically for about ten seconds you would swear you were watching Evil Dead 4, um, if there was one. Um, but, yeah, there's also another fun little surprise in that in that sequence that I won't ruin here. Um, yeah, and I mean, it, it's it's a good story as well. Apparently Sam Raimi uh, and his older brother Ivan... How many times have I said Sam Raimi in this fucking review? Um, and his older brother Ivan uh, came up with this story like 15, 20 years ago, but they've only just got around to making it now. And uh, I'm kind of glad they waited because I think prosthetics have come so far in in that time that I, I think the film's far more effective now than if it was filmed 10, 15 years ago. Uh, the, the effects work's done by... Uh, KNB, uh, who have done a lot of effects work for Raimi. Um, they made their name doing the Evil Dead film, so they're back for this, and uh, there's some really wonderful stuff in here as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, it it's the story is very, very strong. Um, it doesn't pussy out for a second, which is great. Um, 
you know it, it's i suppose the ending's quite traditional in a way um but i still very very much enjoyed it um fantastic score by christopher young who did the music for spider-man 3 as well very very much gets you in the mood from the off and uh yeah i really really dug the score and i mean it um, it's basically raimi letting loose you feel for the first time in over a decade he always felt a little reined in with the spider-man films and he had to be because they had to directly appeal to a broad audience but with this he's kind of back to just the the crazy slapstick violence mixed with a very very strong vein of horror which uh i mean i've got to say i absolutely loved i i really 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 enjoyed this film it's actually it is far and away my favorite film of the summer movie season so far um i did very much like star trek but you know this is i mean horror is my favorite genre anyway so i mean maybe that affects it but it is one of the strongest horror films of this decade uh, uh, and it also has a, a, a strong vein of comedy which uh, which i very very much appreciated it takes some skill to genuinely and i know it's a bit of a cliche but genuinely to make you jump and then make you laugh seconds later and raimi a, a, accomplishes that fully with drag me to hell it really is quite a success um briefly just talk about the cast i've already talked about alison loman um justin long's solid and dependable support as the boyfriend um i liked the fact that even though he's like a psychology professor which was a little unconvincing for justin long i thought he was a little too young to pull that off uh but yeah he goes with her all the way he never really tries to rationalize he just follows her because he loves her and whatnot and i, I really appreciated that that he just went with it uh dilip raul um who i don't think i've ever heard of before as uh the psychic ram jazz uh which is a great name uh i really really liked him as well um he early on brings a fair bit of comedy to the role before getting more serious and he does kind of turn into mr exposition but you know that's that's fine um yeah lorna raver puts in an uh, incredibly brave performance as mrs ganu she's absolutely caked in makeup but i mean some of the things she's asked to do by raimi and this uh, are pretty crazy and fair play to her for doing it uh and finally uh adriana barraza um who was oscar nominated for Babel, uh turns up in a small role here um and you know i mean she's fine she's got a bit of trouble with english i think but it kind of adds to the mood really that you know she's a bit she's a bit mysterious as well and yeah i mean she she does just fine i mean i literally don't think i've really got any complaints about the film other than alison loman's acting style which does take a little bit of getting used to um it, it i mean it's very very well paced uh there's quite a few twists and turns and any film that has the audacity to have a sequence where a woman is stopped by having an anvil fall on her head uh is absolutely fine by me if you find that idea funny uh you'll enjoy drag me to hell if you think that sounds stupid um and not funny at all then you might have a tough time with it but you know hey uh yeah drag me to hell my favorite film of the last few months uh very very easily and, and i've got to say as well um 
Raimi's on the path to recovery after Spider-Man 3 and I mean that's that's really really good to see it be news time let's get into it so um the big story of the last week um an alien prequel is in absolutely active development at Fox um and it is going to be directed by Carl Rinch uh a feature film director debut um and yeah a lot of people seem to be uh, getting a bit up in arms about this on the net um you know how could they do that rah, rah, rah. but i will say this and i actually um posted on the rattle about this earlier um well uh, towards the end of last week um a lot of people seem to be saying that you know he's never directed a film before the, um you know why are they trusting him with this and i would point them out to the fact that um ridley scott had only directed one film before alien um admittedly you know they didn't know it was going to be as big as it as it turned out to be at that time but you know i think just because people are unproven in um feature filmmaking it doesn't mean they can't do the job um you know david fincher's first film was alien free and while many many people dislike that film i i i actually really quite like it especially the uh kind of unauthorized director's cut in the uh quadrilogy box set um but yeah this what more interests me than anything is the fact that ridley and tony scott are going to be producing and indeed uh rinch actually um directed ads for the scott brothers um ad agency so you know there's a connection there and um the fact that ridley scott wants to put his name on it i'm I'm, i don't really mind too much about tony scott but whatever but you know the fact that ridley scott wants to put his name on it i think says something because you know he's been talking up the possibility of like finding out just how the space jockey got invaded by aliens and whatnot in the first place and um that you know that's an interesting idea and um i'd like to see what rinch does with it um you know it might never happen though um you know i mean the halo film never happened and i don't know why i just brought that up but you know hey um but yeah i mean i'm not completely adverse to the idea but you know it sounds like there's a more solid backing behind this than there was the alien versus predator films which i know like ridley scott didn't touch with a 10-foot barge pole so you know that there is that so on to um two other bits of news that i suppose are loosely connected um first of all um apparently this week uh some of the cast of uh of anchorman actually uh, according to devin varachi it shut uh adam mckay paul R- uh, adam mckay the co-writer and director paul rudd and steve carell are meeting with will ferrell um to discuss the possibility of an anchorman sequel which uh, would see Ron Burgundy uh, joining a 24-hour cable news network in the early 80s. Um, Good. All right, let's have all the old cast back, and this really, really, really could be something. Um, Bring it. That's all i got to say. Also, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost's new film, Paul, uh, directed by Superbad and Adventureland's Greg Matola. Uh, It's fleshing out its cast, and uh, wow. Jason Bateman, Kirsten Week, uh, Kristen Week, sorry, uh, Jane Lynch, Bill Hader, and as the voice of the alien Paul, who uh, Peg and Frost have to take on a road trip for some reason, Seth Rogen. Um, 
okay, th- uh, this is that's a cast and a half, and uh, I mean Simon Pegg and Nick Frost play, playing along with those guys. That is going to be a lot of fun, I think. Um, assuming it comes out in 2010, uh, Paul's one of my antici- most anticipated movies of 2010 already. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, apparently it, it looks like they're going to have small roads as it is a road, uh, roles as it is a road trip film. I'm taking again from Devin Farachi at Chud. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's going to be some great scenes in this thing, I think. And, you know, Greg Matolo directing is pretty cool as well, so... Yeah, looking forward to this one. And finally, um, Tintin, uh, The Secret of the Unicorn, um, is going to be released in Europe pretty damn far before the United States. It's supposed to be hitting uh, the US December 23rd, 2011, and it looks like it's going to open in some European territories in November and maybe even October of that year. Um, As Russ Fisher (laughs) says on Chud, this makes sense, uh, I quote, the character has a far higher level of popularity than in the US, in Europe, and strong numbers could help raise awareness here. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's interesting. I've still got very little interest in this thing, despite the cast and the pedigree and the talent behind it. There's just something about Tintin I can't get into, but it's interesting that, you know, a Spielberg film hitting a month or two before the US, I mean, that's pretty major news, I think, and, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. That film is still so far way off, it's uh, crazy. But, um, yeah, interesting news nonetheless. Okay, so that will do it for film news this week, and I'm sure there will be more next week. If you want to go to Vegas without me, that is totally cool. What are you talking about? Well, you know, Phil and Stu, they're your buddies, and it's your bachelor party, and those two love you. Boys and their bachelor parties, it's gross. It is gross. I just wish your friends were as mature as you. They are mature, actually. You just have to get to know them better. Paging Dr. Douchebag! This is Vegas! Do a night we'll never forget. Uh, what happened last night? Am I missing a tooth? Oh. <laughs> Whose baby is that? Check its collar or something. Okay, so, yeah, as I said on the top of the show, I don't usually do this, but just because Drag Me to Hell was the only new release for this week that I've seen this week, um... I'm going to do a little bit of an advanced review. Uh, The Hangover comes out in the US next weekend, and in the UK the weekend after. uh, The UK release, I think, is the 12th of June. Um, But we got this in really, really early at work, so uh, I was able to watch it. So, Uh, The Hangover is directed by Todd Phillips and stars Bradley Cooper, Ed Helms, Zach Galifianakis, Justin Barber, and Heather Graham. Uh, the Hangover is about uh, a bunch of guys, um, all the guys I just basically said then, uh, who go to Las Vegas for the Hangover. Uh, the, the Hangover? No, that's the name of the film. For the uh, bachelor party for uh, one of the guys who is obviously getting married, uh, played by Justin Barber. Um, 
we skip forward to the morning after the night before and Justin Barber's character has gone missing. Uh, there is a tiger locked up in the bathroom. Uh, there's a chicken running around. One of the guys is missing a tooth and they can't remember anything that happened the night before. So they have to try and piece together how all of this happened and try and find their friend. Okay, so The Hangover is the new film from Todd Phillips, uh, director of Old School, Starsky and Hutch, uh, School for Scoundrels, and quite a few other things. Bit of a mixed bag of a career, really. Um, but The Hangover has been getting a lot of big, big buzz uh, on the net. Um, and yeah, so when this came in, uh, the reason why I actually came in early is because we've got a word of mouth screening next week. And whenever... Uh, studios do these it's usually because they're feeling confident about the film and they want to spread the word um, we had a similar thing for Star Trek a few weeks ago so um, which is why I actually saw that pretty early too so um, yeah uh, The Hangover um, I've got to say considering how much buzz there has been for this film I think that might have tempered my point of view about it because I was actually uh, fairly underwhelmed um, now, basically, from the director of Old School is how all the uh, publicity has been uh, has been saying for it, and that's very very apt, as it's very much the same feel and tone of Old School, but the characters are also very very much like the characters in Old School. Bradley Cooper is essentially the Vince Vaughn character, um, slightly douchebaggy, um, slightly arrogant guy who just wants to get drunk. Um, Zach Galifianakis is the Will Ferrell character, um, you know, just a bit left of field and unafraid to say and do stupid things. Uh, Ed Helms is basically the Luke Wilson character, the guy who doesn't really get many of the funny lines and just kind of ticks along, really. Um, and just like Luke Wilson's character in old school, um, he has problems related to uh, an unfortunate hooking up with someone in uh, old school it was Alicia Cuthbert because she was too young in The Hangover it's Heather Graham because she's a stripper so it very much takes the same kind of tropes from old school and transplants it into this film um, but thankfully it is funny enough to justify it, uh, watching it definitely that some of the situations that happen are pretty funny if a little pretty stretching credibility the bit involving mike tyson is funny because it's mike tyson but at the same time why he's in the story doesn't really make a lot of sense considering he's mike tyson i'll say this the guy must have some sort of security at his place um but yeah i mean zach galifianakis who i'm reliably informed is a very funny stand-up um is pretty much the breakout star here like will ferrell was with old school um he, he's pretty bizarre um, like I said he says and does a lot of silly things but he does come out with the best lines of the film um, and actually he came out with my favourite line of 2009 so far which I don't really want to spoil um, but it's to do with um, a ring which causes quite a bit of plotage in the film um, if anyone can guess when they see it 
uh, you win a prize? No, probably not, actually. Um, okay, yeah, so, yeah, Brad, Bradley Cooper um, doesn't really get a lot of funny stuff. Um, I just didn't really like him, to be honest, and I kind of thought he was supposed to be one of the more identifiable characters, but, yeah, I, I, I no, didn't really buy it. Um, Ed Helms is... You know, he's fine, he's a bit nerdy, he's a bit geeky, but he's quite sweet, and you know, whatever. They, 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 all the characters are incredibly one-note, I must say. Um, but I, I don't know, apart from like a couple of things that Galifianakis did, and actually, Ken Jeong, I think his name is, or Ken Leong, um, who was the, the kind of the bad guy in Role Models, the, um, the, the guy who... Uh, cheated uh christopher mintz plass's character and he's turned up in a few other things as well i believe he was the replacement doctor in knocked up um he actually creates a very very memorable side character with not a lot of screen time in this he's this kind of effeminate asian gangster who kind of gets into the plot in the second half and he was a lot of fun actually i'd have liked to have seen more of him um and yeah it, it's just i mean and then Justin Barber's character's barely in it, and he's completely inconsequential, so whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, that's all I've really got to say about The Hangover. This review's very much taken the structure of the review I, I, I wrote for The Rattle, but it's incredibly... I mean, I called it on that an inconsequential piece of fluff, and I think that pretty much fits the bill. It's perfectly fine. Um, it is funny. Um, it's not like I didn't find it funny in the slightest, but considering that it's supposed to be one of the breakout hits of the summer, I just did not see it too much myself. Um, you know, there are moments, it's it's only like an hour and 40 minutes long, so, you know, it, it's not like it's an Apatow film, which even though I find them funny, they are long, you know. But I must also say as well, actually, that's one other thing that, um, yeah... Um, this film feels like it's kind of been rushed together in the editing. Character development is very, very thin on the ground. And considering you're supposed to identify with and like these guys, I've got a feeling there have been bits cut out, which maybe didn't have laugh, laughs, but, you know, just tried to flesh them out a bit more. And I kind of would have appreciated a, a, a bit more like that. And, I don't know, there just feels like there are chunks that are missing, and I'm betting the deleted scenes on the DVD and Blu-ray release are probably going to be pretty big, because it, it feels a bit sloppily put together, which is kind of surprising, really. Um, so, yeah, there you go, The Hangover, perfectly enjoyable, but, it, I mean, I've forgotten the vast majority of it and i'm only recording this review three days after seeing it and the best comedies you don't do that you remember stuff you know you remember lines you remember situations and i really just did did not do that with the hangover it's perfectly fine but that's it okay it's time for a new feature on the show and uh blatantly copying mondo movies uh twitter follower participation uh question of the week thing uh i'm not doing a question of the week don't worry but uh i have come up with two word reviews even though i haven't come up with that uh i just remembered the idea from total films dvd uh section and you know hey so uh yeah i i started it a couple of weeks back with angels and demons but i kind of forgot to promote it and then forgot to record it so yeah 
uh my bad but um so over the last week i've been asking folks for two word reviews on drag me to help and uh it seems like uh everybody's uh in kind of the same field of thinking as i am as uh zombie creator uh who that's uh, james mcnulty comes up with uh two words kind of in one so uh good work james uh fan fucking tastic uh yes good uh jim moon comes up with diabolical excellence uh paul from uh chinstroper versus punter comes up with justified hype and noel meller at uh film rant comes up with retro ramey slash pant caking classic uh cheating there noel naughty um so yeah that was uh zombie creator who's james mcnulty hypnogoria who's uh jane uh jim moon punter zero one that's all yeah of course it's all one word ian it's twitter um that's uh paul from uh chinstroker versus punter and uh film rant uh that's noel meller so uh thanks guys um so next week i would like your two word reviews on terminator salvation it's out on wednesday obviously the us is already out so uh yep but it's out in the uk on wednesday so let's get a few for next week please i've got a feeling they're going to be a bit more mixed than this week's okay so it's time for trailer talk and um youtube seems to have removed the video of the only trailer i was going to talk about this week so uh I'm going to talk about it anyway, but uh, yeah, to be fair, um, I'm sure quite a few of you probably saw it before it got taken down. Um, Werner Herzog's Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans, uh, starring Nicolas Cage, Eva Mendes, and Val Kilmer. Um, this trailer is really, really quite something. Um, I I do not know what to make of it in the slightest, but... Um, it's at the very least going to be a work of some sort of subversive eccentric genius um i mean there's already some classic lines in this uh why is that fucking iguana staring at me um shoot him again his soul's still dancing that that's a good line man um but yeah it's got it's basically nicholas cage doing all sorts of things a cop shouldn't be doing while trying to be a cop uh taking all sorts of drugs talking about uh lucky crack pipes that was another line um don't you have a lucky crack pipe um doing all sorts of things with prostitutes it it just looks really really messed up and i mean it's not a proper trailer i think it's more an announcement thing it's like that um that rambo trailer that came out um a few uh, a, a, a fair few months before the film hit which was uh, really 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 gory um and i mean indeed the end of this trailer actually said uh, now in post-production you know so it's obviously not really meant for public consumption but um it looks absolutely incredible and uh yeah i mean i, I i'm this this is up there with my anticipated films list I, I think it comes out at the end of the year so um what only about six months to wait i suppose but yeah if you can seek out this trailer do it because it's really quite something and uh god knows what herzog's doing with this but cage kilmer herzog iguanas lucky crack pipes how can you go wrong so uh that is actually it for trailer talk this week um a teaser of toy story 3 did hit the net 
but um it's a teaser you know it's really not much of anything so hey so uh yeah hopefully more next week Coraline Jones always dreamed of finding a better world. Ah! A world more exciting than this. Uh -huh. But never did she imagine that she'd discover it in her own home. been waiting for you, Coraline. Where parents are always fun. I love your garden! Can't believe you did this! And everything is so good. Wow, what's shaking, baby? It just can't be real. Mom? You're just in time for supper, dear. You're not my mother. My mother doesn't have... B-b-b-buttons? Do you like them? I'm your other mother, silly. You probably think this world is a dream come true. My name! But you're wrong. You do like it here, don't you, Coraline? You could stay here forever. There's one tiny little thing we need to do. Black is traditional. Okay, it is time for what else I watched this week. And, uh, I watched a fair bit. Um, <laughs> okay, so, uh, clip you heard there was the, uh, from the trailer for Coraline which uh, I finally was able to see. Uh, I saw the 3D version uh, at work, and uh, it's interesting. I was listening to uh, Film Rant the other day, and uh, Noel mentioned that he saw Coraline, and he was saying that he was pretty underwhelmed by it, and thank God, because I thought I was the only one. Um, Coraline's been getting fantastic reviews from pretty much everywhere, but... I've got to say, I maybe it was because of the heightened expectations, but I was pretty disappointed with it. Um, it's it, for those of you who don't know, it's uh, stop motion animation by Henry Selick, the guy who actually directed The Nightmare Before Christmas, um, and it's about this girl who finds a portal in uh, a doorway uh, in her new house to an alternate reality where everything seems to be better, but there's uh, a dark secret there. Um, it felt like a bunch of kind of set piece scenes strung together like there's an awful awful lot of imagination in it and i mean there's some great visuals but it's all strung together very almost haphazardly like henry selick doesn't really care about the storytelling He's hoping the visuals will kind of pull through. And I've got to say I'm surprised because it is based on a book by Neil Gaiman. And, um, yeah, I just, I never really quite clicked with it. And I, 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 I don't know. I, I liked, I've got to say, I really liked the last 15, 20 minutes when it goes a little bit Evil Dead 2 on you, which uh, I really did quite enjoy. But I, I don't know. It all just felt a bit flat and uninvolving. And, and I mean... It, 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 I mean, like I say, it was very nice to look at, but that's about all I got out of it. It, it really was a three out of five for me. And uh, I remember, I think it was Helen O'Hara's review in uh, Empire last month, where she said it was like a future cla uh, family classic. And I didn't get that at all. Um, I'd be very interested to hear what you guys think, though, because, uh, yeah, I, I, I was pretty disappointed by Caroline. 
Okay, uh, I also watched uh, The Strangers again uh, for the first time on Blu-ray. Um, and uh, I was a little disappointed by the Blu-ray transfer, uh, even though I read that apparently Brian Bettino, the director, uh, wanted it to be intentionally soft. But it really was very soft. And, uh, mm, yeah. Uh, it's quite interesting as well. There's actually a slightly extended edition on the DVD and the Blu-ray. And... Uh, I've got to say, if you haven't seen The Strangers before, go f go for the theatrical version. Um, the only bit I actually noticed that was added in the extended version is an extra beat towards the end of the film, which I thought was really unnecessary and actually took away from the real power of the ending. The last five, ten minutes of The Strangers really is very, very brutal. And this extended edition also kind of spoils a big scare at the end of the film. But, um, yeah, I just... I, mean, I, I absolutely, I still absolutely adore this film, I must say, and I'm really interested to see what Brian Bertino does next. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's tense, it's scary. I mean, it's not very long at all. It's wham bam, thank you, ma'am. After the rather extended opening, which takes a little while to get going, but after that, I I really really do enjoy this film. I mean, it's 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 pretty damn brutal, and it is. I mean, I actually um. I said in my written review, at least, if not uh, the recorded review uh, of Drag Me to Hell, that it's like the most kind of scared I've been in the cinema since The Strangers, and that certainly holds up because it really is quite a creepy little film, and I, I, I do really enjoy it. Uh, next, I uh, watched uh, Mongol, The Rise of Genghis Khan, um, a Russian production um, about... Genghis Khan as he grows up and as he rises to power and uh, I really enjoyed it I must say um, you know it, it, it's a very very solid film with some great action um, but it felt like it had been cut to pieces a little bit um, it, I mean it, it's two hours long I could have easily sat there for three three and a half hours and watched a more fleshed out thing um, considering it's the rise of Genghis Khan it, it very very much there's like on-screen text that kind of talks about Genghis Khan at the end of the film and it was kind of like I'd really quite like to actually see that and uh it, it, it I mean it, it's pretty interesting like how he uh he kind of gets an adopted brother of sorts and how uh there's like a massive rivalry between the two which goes on for years and years which uh I really liked actually it felt really like Greek tragedy or something and um I mean, it, it, it was an incredibly involving film, and um, yeah, I, I very, very much enjoyed it, but it just felt like there was a little something lacking. But if you haven't seen it, I, I very, very much recommend it, and the uh, the, the Region B Blu-ray looks very nice as well. Um, okay, so I actually mentioned this in the feedback section briefly, but uh, I also watched Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Uh, really, really enjoy this film. Um, the extended version, actually, on the Blu-ray and the DVD is, is worth it, I think, actually. Kristen Wiig gets a, a small cameo in um, in the extended version, and I like the laid-back, chilled-out vibe of the whole thing. Um, it, it, I really responded to it, and it really showcases Russell Brand's comic persona as well, very well. But you've also got a very likeable everyman with uh, Jason Segel, um, even though his the two respective women in his life are maybe a bit too good looking for him but this is a problem with the apatel verse generally you've got seth rogan with katherine heigl in uh knocked up and um 
Amber Heard in Pineapple Express. I think the only one that actually feels believable is Steve Carell and Catherine Keener in The 40-Year-Old Virgin, and I think their relationship's one of the highlights of that particular film. But, yeah, um, forgetting Sarah Marshall, I, I, I really enjoy it. I, I do find it very funny, and... Um, it, it's a good it's a good film to like have a takeaway and a beer with i'll say that and speaking of beer okay um i also watched um alexandra Azure's remake of the hills have eyes i've seen this a couple of times before uh again blu-ray looks very nice um i forgot how brutal this film is i must say that um i i i, I the the set piece kind of rape attack sequence really is one of the most uncomfortable things I think I've ever watched. I hear uh, there's a kind of a similar scene in the remake of The Last House on the Left, which comes out in the UK uh, next week. Um, yeah, it is next week. Is it next week? No, it's the week after next. Sorry. Yeah, of course it is. Um, but yeah, this one's really pretty horrible but it really helps with kind of amping up the revenge factor of the second half of the film as aaron stanford's uh uh character really goes on the rampage and uh you know it's incredible makeup effects here again by knb like the work on um drag me to hell uh, uh you know there's some great action in it you know I, I like the fact that it spends the time to set up the characters so you do feel for them when they're killed off and uh yeah, I really, really enjoy this version of The Hills Have Eyes. Uh, I also watched, Sunsh watched Sunshine for probably like the 10th or 11th time. Uh, I've waxed lyrical about that film enough. So uh, if you haven't seen it, you're an idiot. No, I don't mean it. Um, I know a lot of people have got problems with Sunshine. It's one of my personal favourite films of all time. So that's all I'm going to say. And uh, I also watched Transformers again. Um, Blu-ray looks really nice. There's a good like amount of film grain there, which... Uh, which I, I I do enjoy I must say and uh, yeah I I, I I don't know Donna and I we watch we watch Transformers probably probably a few times a year actually um, it's just one of those sit down mong out and enjoy films and uh, I it's got me very much amped up for the sequel I must say so uh, yeah that's what I uh, what else I watched this week and uh, I doubt I'm gonna watch as many films uh, in the coming week but we shall see okay it is feedback time and i've got a few things for you this week so let's get kicking straight off uh with al webb a uh, long time long 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 time listener of the show um who actually messaged me on facebook so you can always do that if you want um and he says ian on your recommendation i went to see tormented today was interested in seeing it before i would make a real effort after your positive review and I think it's got to be better than Night at the Fucking Museum 2, right? Thought the film in general was pretty damn good, but I'd be really interested to hear your take on the ending. When watching the film, I was at first a bit pissed off with it. Then I kind of appreciated the ambiguity of it, and thought it was quite brave. However, after much thought, I came to the conclusion that it was all a bit of a red herring, and actually doesn't make much sense at all. For example, how is Tuppence suddenly able to lift a massive lad up and impale him on a fence? Still, enjoyed the film, but this is annoying me. Perhaps this is a good thing. Would you also agree that the emo gang subplot is entirely unnecessary and at times embarrassing with the writer's crude stereotype of how they would behave? Obviously the film is full of stereotypes and I certainly wasn't worried about being wedgied by year 13s but this thing particularly annoyed me. 
Oh, by year 13, sorry. Uh, interested to hear your thoughts. Al. P.S. Been meaning to write to the show for ages, but I, if I um, don't get time, I'd just like to say that Wolverine was an abomination, while Star Trek is a fantastic film. Were it not for The Dark Knight last year, I'd be hailing it as an almost perfect blockbuster. Okay, thank you, Al. Um, so, yeah, Tormented. Right, uh, I'm going to go into spoilers here. So, um, if you don't want to hear spoilers for um, uh, Tormented, please uh, just fast forward a couple of minutes um okay so right uh well i thought that the big thing was that uh justine the character that tuppence middleton plays was actually being set up by or or not well maybe not actively set up but just happens to be set up by uh by uh the ghost uh darren the zombie ghost guy um the fact is, there's no way that girl could have actually lifted the guy up on the fence. There's also no way that that girl could have weighed down the girl in the swimming pool so much that, you know, she drowned to death because she was being dive-bombed. You know, I mean, there's all sorts of stuff where it's just like, no way, no way, no way. And I think the fact is, she kind of sets herself up, but she's also being set up. And then you've got that bit just at the start of the credits where it cuts back and it's the, it's the horrible PE teacher in the uh, um, in, uh, in the gym and then you see Darren again. So I, I, I thought the whole point was that, you know, for once there is no real twist. It's a fat asthmatic ghost. And I, I, I you know, I thought that's what it was really. So, you know. Um, and yeah, I mean, the thing is everybody's a stereotype in this film really and I think that's kind of how it is. And, um, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it was rather crude and a little bit written as if they didn't really have an idea of what actually goes on in schools. But, actually, as I said in the review when I talked about the uh, the, sa- the, uh, the soundtrack, the, uh, the, the, the music seems actually kind of a little bit too old school. And it's got me thinking that the the guy directed this whose name i can't recall at the moment sorry but um i think maybe he's a little bit out of touch with how schools actually are like for instance they didn't look like they were in a particularly posh school but they were all sick formers wearing uniforms and i don't think that really happens anymore but you know hey uh and i agree with all the below about wolverine and star trek what can i say i've talked about wolverine and star trek enough on this show i think so yeah <laughs> Right, thank you very much, Al. Um, okay, next on to a new um, new feedbacker, David Wilcox, um, who I've actually been talking to on Twitter. Uh, I won't give his name out just because, you know, I, I'm kind of not too sure about the protocol with that, really, with giving out people's Twitter usernames and whatnot. But, um, yeah, I was having a conversation with him about... Um, I, for those of you who follow me on Twitter, you know I talk about Blu-ray quite a lot, and... Um, we were having a little uh, conversation about um, what uh, provokes buying Blu-ray as opposed to DVD, and he actually wrote in an email. Um, so he says, Hi, Ian. Thought I'd try and explain what I was referring to in my Twitter replies. If I'm buying a new film, then I'll choose Blu-ray over DVD every time. I didn't buy the kit not to get the best out of it, so to me that's a no-brainer. But... If I'm looking at a Blu-ray that I already own on DVD, there are a couple more factors that I take into consideration. 
the age of the original. I'm not going to spend the extra time, uh, the extra sorry, on a film that is 40 years old unless it has been exceptionally remastered. Then I can't see the advantage. I appreciate that a good transfer could improve the look, but to the extent that makes the Blu-ray worth it, extras. Does it have a bundle of extras? The DVD doesn't. I'm not an extras fanatic, but do watch them if I get the time. Type of film. This is probably the biggest single factor for me. I don't believe that upgrade benefit outweighs cost for smaller scale films. I love Glenn Gary Glenn Ross, but if it didn't rile me with extras, then I can see a fine film on DVD and not feel I'm missing the Blu-ray experience. Now, if it is a grandiose or epic film or a sci-fi spectacular, then I'm game. There will be Blood, Assassination of Jesse James, Pan's Labyrinth, even Starship Troopers. All these have upgraded to Blu-ray and not regretted it. Overall, I love Blu-ray and could wax uh, lyrical about the great shots in some of these films for pages, but I'd rather spend my hard-earned pennies on new films than upgrade the ones in my collection. Cheers and thanks for a great podcast. Dave, P.S. Best picture quality Blu-rays I own apart from those listed above. Hellboy 2, Wally, Apocalypto, uh, the BBC series Planet Earth and The Orphanage. Uh, so yeah, thank you, Dave. Um, I could wax lyrical about Blu-ray generally for hours, so don't worry about it. Um, so, the fact is, I'm an idiot. Uh, when it comes to Blu-ray, I'm a I'm a, I'm a bit of a Blu-ray fascist. I'm always knocking people for not buying Blu-rays, but hey. Um, and the thing is, I've replaced quite a lot of films in my collection. To give you an idea, um, I'm budgeted forty pounds a month for Blu-rays. Um, yet with the amount of DVDs I've traded in and whatnot, um, and been able to buy Blu-rays, I've got about 50 Blu-rays, and I only started buying them in December, so that gives you an idea of just how much I've traded in. And the thing is, I have rebought a lot, and I feel like a bit of an idiot at times, because for instance, I rebought Forgetting Sarah Marshall on Blu-ray, and thinking about it, I actually rebought the 40-year-old Virgin in Knocked Up, and what was the point? Well, the 40-year-old Virgin actually has a lot of features that weren't on the original. Um, on the original DVD in the UK, including a commentary, so and it's a good commentary as well. Um, forgetting Sarah Marshall, I mean, it adds a video commentary, but all it is is the audio commentary, but in a video box. Um, and the picture quality is pretty good, but it's not like anything mind blowing. But I don't know. I just I kind of want to see everything in the best way possible, and that's just how I want to be. I'm an absolute idiot, and I I know that, and Donna tells me that a lot with this kind of stuff but hey you know um i mean the the age of the original as well is an interesting point because a lot of people seem to say that um they don't see the point in buying older films in high def but um i've got to say if the transfer's done well enough then i think it's well worth it i mean um i i would say halloween is actually one of my most impressive blu-rays in my collection just because that film the the job that anchor bay did on that restoration that film looks like apart from the hairstyles and whatnot it looks like it could have been made three years ago or well or like a year ago even you know it looks really really nice on blu-ray and um not as impressive but still pretty impressive the road warrior um looks very nice i uh fell asleep drunk watching that um a couple of fridays back and um yeah great fun you know so the age of the original yes it's you know it is a point but I went to what's formerly known as Zavi, uh, this this company that's like gone out of business and they're now selling all their stock off quite cheaply. And I saw Enter the Dragon for 5.74 on Blu-ray the other day. So what did I do? I bought it. Of course I fucking did. And you know, um, but I I do get the point that you know some older films it's not worth it. 
and um, extras. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I mean, I think everyone would agree that you don't get the uh, the time to watch the extras you'd like to. Um, I, I I think so anyway, and um, I think that's actually certainly true. Um, but I mean, some of the some of the Blu-ray extras are pretty good. But what I've what I've been seeing the studios have been doing recently, which is pretty cheeky, is just withholding extras that could easily be on the DVD and putting them on the Blu-ray and calling them Blu-ray exclusive. Case in point, in the UK anyway, when Wanted came out on DVD, it only had like a couple of featurettes. But the two-disc special edition that came out in America has all like. Yeah, I, pretty much, apart from the picture-in-picture picture commentary, all the extras that are actually on the English Blu-ray. So it's kind of just saying to people, if you want the extras, you're going to have to get the Blu-ray just because. It's not concentrating on Blu-ray exclusive extras. I mean, the, the Blu-ray exclusive extras are cool. I really, really like picture-in-picture picture stuff. The uh, the Batman Begins one is actually really, really cool. Um, and it's got a lot of stuff that you don't find anywhere else on the Blu-ray, you know, which is, which is great. I mean... Um, Universal are a bit cheeky sometimes because uh, the Doomsday visual commentary, all that is, is the featurettes that are on the DVD but not the Blu-ray, like cut cut up and put in the form of a visual commentary, which is, you know, that is pretty cheeky really. But I mean, it's it's kind of fun to watch the film and watch the behind-the-scenes stuff at the same time. But you know, so. Um, yeah, and I mean, the type of film, well, yeah, fair play. But like I said, I, I do, I just buy everything on Blu-ray, no matter what it is. But I do get that point, you know. I mean, I bought The Wrestler yesterday, and I'm not expecting that to absolutely blow my mind with its HD transfer, but it's still going to look very, very nice, so, you know. So, uh, yeah, thank you very much, David. Uh, David. And I actually, um, I haven't seen Apocalypto on um, Blu-ray, but I have seen all the ones you mentioned, and hell yeah. And, um... I'd add to that actually Kung Fu Panda, which I I think has actually got a better transfer than Wally. Um, myself, um, Halloween, uh, The Road Warrior, or I would add No Country for Old Men, uh, Free Ten to Yume is very nice. Um, the Dark Knight, especially when it's in its blown up IMAX shots, looks very nice. Uh, Sunshine, that's a very very nice transfer. So I mean, you know there are a lot. So uh, yeah. Thank you, Dave. And uh, moving on to the last one, uh, Jim Moon. Uh, hello there, Jim, who says, BT ad, go away. Jesus. Right. Um, Hi, Ian. Your week in Spain certainly seems to have sharped, sharpened your wits to new heights. I nearly fell off my chair with your skin synopsis and indeed did fall off said chair with your final comparison of angels and demons with the Da Vinci Code. Thank you very much, sir. Uh, that's me to Jim. Going to have some tea, sorry. Saw Drag Me to Hell yesterday and came out absolutely delighted. It was, as I suspected from the trailer, a riff on Tourneurs. Am I pronouncing it? Tourneurs? Tourneurs. Uh, yeah. Night of the Demon, but built a very different and hugely entertaining film from the same DNA. What really surprised was, uh, me was how many callbacks to his Evil Dead films there were. It really felt like the story was from the same universe. It was certainly not a watered-down affair. Raimi has proved that you can really make a highly effective horror without an 18-slash-R. There was plenty of stuff in here which was really shocking and achieved without the usual splatter. And the ending, without spoiling it, I can't really say much other than wow. Also, Saw Martyrs this week, which certainly lived up to its reputation. A disturbing, brilliant film, but it's not so much the violence and gore that makes it so powerful, but the context the mayhem is presented in. In my post-film Holy Jesus Living Fuck Feeg, um, I checked out the comments on IMDb and found this tidbit. 
Someone asked a question that referenced Michael Haneke's Funny Games. I didn't quite hear the whole question, as the person was well back in the theatre, but it really set Pascal Lourdier off. He denounced Funny Games as shit and proclaimed his film the anti-Funny Games. He was fine with the hour and a half brutalisation of an innocent family, but felt strongly that it didn't have a sufficient point to make or justification for the violence. It just ends, uh, quoted there. Now, I really admire Funny Games, this is uh, Jim, and I think Martyrs actually makes a fine companion piece. Throw in Man Bites Dog, and you've got a solid triple pill entitled Meditations on Screen Violence. So the director's alleged criticisms of Funny Games were quite a surprise. As a Haneke head, I'd, better, uh, I'd, I'd be intrigued to hear your take on this. Cheers, Jim. Uh, oh, and he scoped up, and I better not give that away. Um... Thank you very much, Jim. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to your Drag Me to Hell review. I see on TweetDeck that you are uh, going to start writing it, and I look forward to reading it. Uh, Jim's blog, uh, well, website, hypnogoria.com, well worth a visit, folks. Um, so, yeah, I'm very glad you enjoyed uh, Drag Me to Hell, Jim. Um, you'd have heard my review, and I think you probably read my review anyway, so... Uh, yeah, but yeah, highly effective horror without an 18 slash R. There you go, just plenty of decent scares, lots of icky stuff, and didn't have to be an 18. And I'm, I tell you what, if I was 15 years old and I saw that, that oh man, I think I would have shit myself. Um, yes, so martyrs and funny games right okay uh i know a lot of people have problems with funny games that it's they say it's haneke just you know saying why are you watching this you shouldn't be watching this you know you're bad for watching this and the thing is okay haneke is doing that but he's making us question ourselves you know on-screen violence is something that's very cathartic for people it's kind of like it's just human nature i think people like to see people on screen killed and brutalized so that you know you don't have to see it you don't see it yourself and you don't experience it yourself it's perfectly fair enough it is natural it's you know it's why horror is a successful genre but uh, even though i'm not saying funny games is horror but um well in a way it is but i mean the, uh, and yeah okay the fact is haneke is trying to make a point you know he's not trying to entertain you and i'm not entertained by funny games but i'm mentally stimulated by it uh i i find it a very very intelligent piece of work and the thing is i fully acknowledge that michael haneke is smarter than i am there you go the you know the the guy knows how to present his feelings and opinions on screen in a way that I could never, ever, ever, ever hope to match. And I am a Haneke head, as Jim so uh, uh, well puts it. Uh, uh, even though I've got to say I didn't like Code Unknown, so. Uh, but I am very much looking forward to the White Ribbon, which doesn't come out over here until like November, apparently, which angers me. Um, and, and, and yeah, I mean. It didn't have a sufficient point to make. Of course it had a sufficient point to make. And there was no justification for the violence. No, there wasn't. That was the point. There is no justification for seeing violence on screen. It's making you question why you like seeing violence on screen. And the fact is, if you like the violence that's on screen in funny games, there's something wrong with you. Because it's not satisfying. It's innocent people getting really, really fucked up. And that's all there is to it, you know. And I mean, I th I think, but what's the point that Martyrs is trying to is trying to say? I don't think Martyrs has got a point. 
It's got a story. But it hasn't got a point. I enjoyed Martyrs. I didn't think it was the be-all and end-all that a, a lot of people have have seemed to say that it is. But it's not got a point. It's a story and a very, very original story. Uh, and, I mean, there was, but there was justification for the violence in the context of the story. And in a way, there's justification for the violence in the context of the funny game story because it's to make a point. But, like, conversely, there is no point to the violence. Haneke's smarter than me. <laughs> That's all I've got to say. You know, maybe I'm not I'm not say, uh, saying what I'm trying to say very well, but I think Haneke makes his point very, very strongly, very, very bluntly, and very, very effectively in funny games, both the original and the remake. And, uh... I, I almost sounded angry at Jim there, and I'm not at all angry at you, Jim, because I know that's not your point, but I, I just got a little bit on my soapbox there. But um, I'm angry at the director of Martyrs, uh, as if he'd ever actually listened to this, but hey. <laughs> so uh, thank you very much for that, Jim. Uh, that's got me rather fired up. Uh, that is it for feedback this week. Thank you very much to uh, Al, David, uh, Dave and Jim for uh, responding you can email cineramapodcast at yahoo.co.uk you know you can twitter me questions that you want answered on the show if you want uh, and you can facebook me as well feel free to add me as a friend if I don't know your name just put a little message saying listen to your show or whatever and you can ask me stuff on there and I'll talk about it on the show so uh, a myriad way of communicating with uh, with the show on to the, what I've decided is going to be the penultimate part in the uh, Unseen Hitchcock Marathon. Uh, it's been going a fair while now, so uh, yeah, second last film, Marnie, uh, 1964, starring uh, Tippi Hendren, Sean Connery, Diane Baker, Martin Gabble, Louise Latham, and Bob Sweeney. Um, Marnie is the story of... Marnie, Edgar, played by Tippi Hedren, a woman who goes around from place to place, ingratiates herself, and then steals a load of money and then bounces onto the next place. But she runs into uh, an interesting situation when uh, she is employed by Mark Rutland, played by Sean Connery, a man who uh, is very, very quick-witted, and it's fair to say it's not a spoiler that he soon finds out that uh, Marnie is planning to steal from him, but he starts to have feelings for her, and when he discovers that she may be psychologically damaged, he tries to help her. Okay, so Marnie is one of those Hitchcock films that's kind of been brushed under the carpet a little bit, and this is probably because of some unfortunate, apparently unfortunate stuff behind the scenes, which I'm not going to get too much into, but... Basically, apparently Hitchcock may have made a pass at Tippi Hedren during the film and uh, she uh, rebuffed him and um, they never really spoke again after that. So, uh, I don't know, it, it's it, it's kind of been forgotten by, uh, by people and kind of people who like Hitchcock as well and it may well be, be because of this kind of seediness behind it. Um... Which is quite a shame, really, as it's 
I've got one fairly large problem with it, but aside aside from that, I found it a very interesting and pretty expectation-defying film, which um, is really well worth a watch. Um, why do I say expectation-defying? Well, quite simply, the start of the film kind of makes it out as if it's going to be some sort of um, kind of... a a caper film like two people on the run maybe or or a lady on the run and and i was very surprised at how it really didn't turn into that as you know a lot of hitchcock's films are somebody on the run for some reason kind of films but this kind of goes deeper into the uh, the uh, avenues that vertigo was going in um uh, even though the the male character in this is 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 controlling, but not in a kind of a, a, a in, in in as much of a dark way, um, because the the main story of the plot is not any real sort of caper or whatever, or even trying to keep Marnie from being discovered as the thief she is, but instead it's an exploration of why Marnie refuses to be um, touched by a man and why she's so very very scared of lightning um now this leads me on to one of my massive well my only real massive massive problem with the film and uh that's really that sean connery's character um he seems to basically be very astute in the realms of psychology but i'm not quite sure why his character's supposed to be like that as i as the impression's given at the start that he's kind of just a bit of a playboy and you know it's nice that he's not just a playboy but he seems to know a lot of what where marnie's coming from in terms of her tics and whatnot and he's able to get a lot of stuff out of her and he ne i mean he comes up against some interference from her but you know psychologists do i suppose from everybody they 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 treat but he is able to basically fix her by the end of the film and it, it it was kind of weird i don't think a film could get away with that at all these days but it is kind of helped by sean connery's as always in this period very charismatic and suave performance um i until I started watching this film, I actually didn't even know Sean Connery was in it, which shows how much I knew about it. And um, to see, basically, Sean Connery dressed, you know, as suavely as James Bond at the beginning and throughout the film is a bit disconcerting at first. And, it, I mean, he's not quite as the ladies' man as he is in the Bond films, but, you know, he's still pretty damn smooth. And... Um, you know, his courting of Marnie, uh, that's an old-fashioned word, isn't it? Uh, it, it, it is, um, I, I, you know, I, I, I could see why a woman would fall for it, but then he kind of reveals himself to be a, some kind of psychological genius, and I, I, I don't know, but, I, you know, the, the, the stories, I, I love how the story really, really shifts focus from 
trying to keep Marnie from being discovered. That 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 there are elements of that, but they're kind of kept on the back burner, to be honest, which in a way is kind of surprising considering just what she's been up to but um you know this isn't a story about that this is you know it's called marnie and it's a story about marnie and the revelations of just why she's got so many problems is very very shocking and i can only imagine how shocking it must have been for the time as well hitchcock really did push some boundaries in the in the 40s 50s and 60s and i mean this one surely did did that as well um it's very very frank and honest at the end and it's all the more shocking for it um i mean tippy hendren i i think she actually puts in a better um a better performance in this than she does uh does in the birds actually it's uh it's far more complicated in the birds she's just like one note woman with an attitude but who will still get seduced by the man by the end of the film whereas this she she starts off knowing exactly what she wants but she gets more and more damaged as the film um, goes along just by the presence of of mark rutland played by sean connery and um the chemistry between the two is fantastic as well and um i mean any other film you'd expect them to be ripping each other's clothes off very very early on but um it just doesn't happen in this and it's uh it's a very interesting avenue for the for um hitchcock to go down um there two are the only real performances of any real note in the film to be honest with you and um i suppose they're the only ones that are really deserve talking about um it uh, i must also say as well hitchcock's famous cameos fantastic one here early on in the film which uh, david munn highlighted to me before i started watching the film and uh yeah i, I it, it's it's very funny how he kind of sheepishly looks at the camera it, it really made me chuckle but um I mean, you know, it's about the only time you will laugh in this film. It's a, it's a very serious film, and um, it takes its time as well. It's, um, it's, it's a shade over two hours, and I mean, it takes up every single minute of it. Really, the, the plot is pretty dense, and um, yeah, I, I've got to say, I really enjoyed it. It's not my, it's not my favourite of the marathon at all. Um, to be honest, I think Rope holds that, um, holds that honour at the moment. But um, um, what do I sound like? But um. Yeah, I, I very, very much enjoyed Marnie. Um, it is one of those ones that is relatively unseen, and um, I, I would very, very much recommend it. It's uh, it, 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 in, a, it, it, in a way, it's a nice companion piece to, um, to Vertigo, in that that, film, that film's Scotty is a, a very damaged individual, and uh, in this film, Marnie is also very, very damaged, and... Um, it's a brave film by Hitchcock and uh, a, a very, very, very good one, if not, if not absolutely great one. But um, yeah, I, I would recommend it. So uh, next week, uh, it's going to finish off the Hitchcock Marathon uh, and it is 1972's Frenzy, which uh, a serial killer film. So uh, I'm, I'm pretty looking forward to that. Okay, and that will do it for this week. Uh, coming up on next week's show, uh, Noel from Phil Rant will be joining me for a review of Terminator Salvation. So probably just the one main review uh, this week, uh, next week even. Um, I, I think it's probably going to be a fairly long one as uh, my uh, joint reviews with the Chinstroker versus Punter guys usually are. So we shall see how it goes. Uh, also hopefully the next part in the Hitchcock Marathon uh, we are getting to the end um, and all the usual stuff 
I think you probably know by now, to be honest. Um, right, feedback, very, very much welcome. Cinerama Podcast at yahoo.co.uk. You can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash Ian Loring. Uh, votes on Podcast Alley, always muchly, muchly appreciated, as are reviews on iTunes. And you can read me at The Rattle at therattle.co.uk. And I must also say, um, speaking of The Rattle... Um, uh, us at the Rattle are going to be uh, starting a film podcast. Um, Jordan, the uh, and and Matt, the uh, the two kind of the guys who really run uh, the Rattle, um, are have invited me to join them for a, a new think it's going to be weekly film podcast uh we're recording uh the first episode next week so um not too sure what what exactly the format's going to be or whatnot at the moment but um it's going to be interesting so uh yeah you'll be able to hear my dull inane droll drolling shitty voice on even more podcasting fun but um hopefully give you more details about that next week so until next week uh have a good week happy film watching and uh, I'll speak to you later. All right, cheers. Bye-bye. Even though uh, I must just say as well, playing us out, uh, the Maccabees uh, from the album All of Arms, and this is the first single from the album, No Kind Words. Dear friend of mine has broken his union, broke from tradition, broken his vision of the future. Alone, alone, alone. Not alone at all, dear friend of mine is testing his body, tempting disaster, testing water with a mother's daughter. Alone, 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 not alone.